0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: Art evolution and it is it is definitely a treat to be here today with John Yo John how are you
2: Hi good thank you good thanks
1: It's really a pleasure to have you here for those that are tuning in to John for the first time John is an executive coach he helps leaders share strategic messages in meaningful ways he's known for his ability to articulate complex things very simply and if you go looking around on youtube and finding some videos around john you will notice this to be very true he works with ceos and senior leadership teams to build trust empathy and engagement in what is i guess the only real way to put it is it's an increasingly distracted world that we live in these days technology maybe like have some parts do that i know we had a chat around this recently um but yeah there's that's the work that he's doing. He works with many well-known national and international brands and he's currently developing his own training into a core curriculum for university MBA programs. He's the past president, just recently, of uh, Professional Speakers Australia and he's a current licensee of TEDx Melbourne. And in his spare time, just because he can shoot the shit on stuff, he works with youth and youth at risk and diversity and inclusion programs of major international organizations. John, I can't tell you how much of a, a pleasure it is to have you here today.
2: Awesome. Glad I could make it. We finally made this work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the stars have aligned. We've been uh, yeah. we've been uh, trying to get this to happen for a little bit, but um it's it's I completely trust in the flow of everything. So really a blessing to be here and I think the key thing that stands out to me and those that are connected to you in the community um is just, you know, there's so much that you are doing in the space of speaking and I know like you've offered courses in the past in terms of helping people empower themselves to find their voice Um, and obviously that's a big part of your corporate offering is helping people find their voice and knowing you a little bit, um, your voice is not just your voice and your verbal communication, it's actually your walk in life because storytelling is a big part of um, your message as well. I think where I wanted to start was sort of go back into how did this become a thing
2: for you? Wow. It depends how far you wanted to go back because, Up um, to you.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. So by, by nature, I'm, I'm actually a very quiet, um, quite reserved type person. And uh, at the time, I guess we're going back, back. Uh, I was in charge of major Y2K projects. And so mm. engineers didn't really get a lot of time in front of CEOs. So how did I overcome my ability not only to speak to someone who's important, but also get them? To understand the criticality of what's going on. Mm. And so I got really good these 90 second corridor conversations and I kind of developed little processes around that.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and given that people need to sort of hear things in sound sa- bites, make an impact, and do it in short periods of time, I developed this little practice around that. So that when I joined TED and ran TEDx Melbourne, mm. it became a critical part of the way I communicate and the way I help people communicate.
3: Hmm.
1: I find that amazing. So you've, because TED is fundamentally, uh, for those tuning in for the first time, like, can you tell us a little bit about TED as the overall organization and where TEDx sure. sits with that? And obviously these yep. talks are designed to be exactly what you've shared, short and impactful.
2: Yeah. So TED began in the mid-'80s uh, around a concept called Ideas Worth Spreading. Mm. And originally it was really around three particular domains, technology, entertainment, and design, and their mm. convergence. Right. At the time they hadn't converged. Uh since then, obviously that convergence has happened, it's broadened its scope to be all sorts of things. You know, anything who's doing something remarkable in their area of expertise. So you've got, mm. you know, philanthropists, business people, you know, uh people like Dalai Lama and Al Gore, people who've kind of got some sort of um place and statement that they want to share, but also people doing remarkable things. So you have these very young people no one had ever heard of that come up with these great ideas. Mm. And so it's really a platform for exploring what the potential future of where we are in and what that world could potentially look like. And so in the n- about 2005, the TEDx community was created, which is really a way for the TED community to extend beyond the standard conference, which was once a year at the time.
3: Right. How do we have
2: it year round? How do we have it local? How do we engage people in places that don't physically come to California where it was physically being recorded at the time? Yeah. Uh, it's since moved. But, um, and so TEDx then became, I guess, a broadening of that platform for local organisers to do local-based things, but with a global uh, impact. Yeah, right. That's amazing. And so
3: I've yeah.
1: heard you say that if there's one thing you do in life, it's you've got to see if you can qualify and get along to a TED, TED event.
2: Yeah, totally. I, I think, I mean, not just my event, I think everyone in that community is very future-focused very, um, optimistic mm. and very, uh, solution oriented. And so the attitudes mm. and values and conversations of that community is extremely, uh, Almost say addictive. Like it's it's kind of like, wow, this is possible. This is people believe in me. People think that this is possible. You know that these these are the ways that we could potentially make it if we choose. And so it became a great positive reinforcer of not only of your ideas, but also great challenges to your assumptions and values Hmm. in in a positive way that they genuinely want to explore how their world and your world intersect and whether and and there is a genuine interest in helping each other and so there's this really sense of strong sense of community about how do we support each other through these uh, grand visions that we all hold
1: which i find is something that was really poignantly dropped in for me when i finally got to connect with you in person last week we were sitting there was uh, ambassadors from yourself from TEDx Melbourne ambassadors from TEDx in Singapore TEDx in Hong Kong and you know you see the TED content and we <laughs> we used to joke about this when we were in high school uh, sorry early university and it was like you know I watch a TED talk and I feel like I don't need to go to uni for the day <laughs> you know there was like this yeah. this like this person explaining like mathematical models and how everything is interconnected in networks and you're like whoa <laughs> like yeah. I don't need calculus for today like that was enough you yeah. know? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So there's this amazing content, um, which is really supportive. And it's, but I, it was never really like, it never really dawned on me that there's a community that's really building. Obviously you see the the views and the listeners and the following on on the internet, but I never really understood the community aspect to it, which now being exposed to you and having these conversations together, I'm uh, I'm in awe of it.
2: Yeah, look, I, it's the primary reason I continue to stay involved. I mean, there's lots of crazy things and there's lots of amazing things out there to do that I could be distracted by, but this community and the conversation we have is is, is amazingly satisfying and, and, and thought and growth expanding at the same time.
1: Mm. So being surrounded by thought leaders, I think it's a really interesting space because, I, again, you just mentioned that Ted started in the 80s.
3: Yeah, so- the mid 80s, 84, yeah, I think it was.
1: Never heard of it until, I guess, I started watching videos on YouTube. Um, was that always yeah. like, was, is, was YouTube responsible for a big part of
2: things or what's oh. going on with TED and that strategy? That's of- a great question. So TED, the, the website itself, TED.com, came out in 2005. It was the same year that YouTube started. Mm. So Chris Anderson himself has even said that, you know, if YouTube didn't become a thing... Hmm. TED might not have become a thing because they had all this content, but they had no platform to share it with. Mm. And as a not-for-profit, it's not as if they can just go buy bandwidth and allow everyone to watch <laughs> this stuff for free.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, back then, video st- streaming was very expensive and very complicated. Uh-huh. And so uh, they didn't have the capacity to do that, but suddenly there was a site where you could share stuff and people could share amongst that community it became a remarkable thing.
1: I do think it's fascinating that they went there because membership to come along to some of these events is, we're talking in this case of $10,000 to just be there. Some people are paying way more than even that um, just because they believe in what's happening in this space. And then they've open sourced this content that people are spending such a large sum of money to obviously meet the people in the space, but obviously to be exposed to this information. And they've just, the forward thinkingness of TED,
2: Look, I think that was radical at the time. Mm. And a lot of people said you shouldn't be giving away your IP. You know, those were the days where your IP was your sacred cow, you know.
3: <laughs> your, your, your...
2: And so that was a radical thing. And I, they got a lot of pushback by both the community and internally in the organization that why are we giving away the very thing that people pay tens of thousands of dollars to come see. Mm. And so in some respects, it was a bold move. And I think TED, as an innovation brand, kind of reinvented not only online video but short talk formats, experience design, collaboration and and, and intersection of different disciplines and areas of expertise in a way that no one else was doing. And I think that cross-breeding of ideas and values and attitudes really became the the impetus by which TED became successful as a community.
3: That's Mm -hmm. why
2: the TED community, I would argue, is almost more valuable than the videos. Mm. Well, I reckon it is. I reckon it is more valuable than (laughs) You you can watch videos of anything anywhere now, right? Mm. Of any topic. Yeah. But it's still out front. It's still leading the way from that point of view. I love
1: that. And one of the things that I'm gonna try and use this conversation that we've had to sort of channel into is, um, you know, we've talked about change, we've talked about innovation, we've talked about keeping things concise and like impactful and short. And obviously you do a lot of work with brands, right? And so yeah. if there's aligning yourself and your values. Um, my, my own self as an, ex, like, as a case study is, you know. Amrit, the inspired evolution, values, unity, transformation aligns with a brand such as Valley, and dropping into that and understanding that actually these guys have done a lot of work in this space prior to me. And it's really easy to embed myself in this ecosystem as an individual, because my values line up with the values of, you know, this wider ecosystem. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's you know, what a great ambassador for Ted Melvin you would be being the individual that you are. Like that is, has that always been a conscious sort of step that you've taken? Or was that something that's evolved over time, having realized, walked a path and then sort of gone, actually, this is where we align. And can you tell us more about that?
2: That was the only reason I continue to stay with the organization in that respect, because there's a lot of organizations that I'm not going to say they've sold out but the, it's easy to sell out and kind of go go where the excitement thing exciting thing is happening or go where you know the bigger community is or go here because you can make more money as an operation we've never taken that path it was just part of the dna of the organization and dna of of, of the origins of this concept for me and i think that's the heart and value that continues to hold true even you know 10 years down the track you know TEDx Melbourne started in 2009, which is when all the other TEDx licences became a thing. Mm. Um, and so we, we, I think, well, I still b- estimate that we are probably the first TEDx in Australia at the time. Nice. And so it was really the origin of the impetus of that community that then became the basis by which the conversation grew. I think that was, I believe that's the reason why that TED brand still prevails.
3: Mm.
1: And so, being an introvert, has the conversations in and around Ted helped you have better conversations, grown into the speaker that you are?
3: Uh,
2: it's it certainly evolved in a sense that I had to be more precise mm. and more quantifiable for the logic based people <laughs> about how we might go about being effective as communicators, whether it's on stage or off stage. Right. Um, it's definitely refined it from that point of view. But in terms of my own uh, development, for me, it was kind of my own journey. Um, in between there, a part that I didn't men- mention sort of just before that, um, you know, that, that Y2K project was mm. I was a, a radio DJ for, for our student radio at university. Yeah. And because I wasn't exposed but I could still voice my opinion. Yo. It became my platform for discovering my own voice and my own identity in my own place. So that, I think, discovery process was part of the, the early journey, even pre what I discussed at the very beginning of the web, web webinar.
1: I love that. I love that. So there's these little bits, and I think that's really key because uh watching your TEDx talk from Launceston, you talk about the ripple effects that these little moments, these little things can really have. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you I mean if you want to watch the video, which still makes me cringe.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> all
2: that, all that. Yeah, I'm no, I'm I enjoyed it. it. I enjoyed it. We're always our own um, harshest critics, John. I would do it very differently now. But, you know, that, that, I think everyone says that when they release something to the world, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I kind of took solace in uh, Reid Hoffman's comment that is, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your first launch, then you launch too late. <laughs> um, but I only adopted that sort of narrative when I recently heard that uh, and justified that. I was, that, was kind of a little bit anxious. But Small Things was really something of my upbringing. Mm. Uh, in that. My father was always about, you know, don't forget, you know, these people, they're struggling, they're always looking for opportunities, and all it needs is these little things to make, you know, give them a chance. These small things can make a big difference. Mm. Uh, it's primarily why I do um, a lot of youth work in Asia because the Australian dollar here is worth a dollar, but an Australian dollar in, say, China is worth way more. Yeah, and so that was part of kind of my combination of upbringing and value set. That how do you do those small things that make massive difference? And that is really the argument for micro loans as well. You know, Grameen and and the micro loan movement has transformed so many of these small communities simply because these twenty five dollar donations make massive differences to these small businesses in remote and rural or you know disadvantage areas. And so it's just really an understanding that nowhere you put X plus effort brings X plus Y value. Mm. Uh, and so if you understand the, the nature of that, then that can be applied almost to anything. And that's the whole premise underneath uh, 80-20 as well. Yeah. 20% of your effort produce 80% of your outcome. You know, same thing.
3: And I
1: think what's. This is my
2: talk really based on that essence.
1: Yeah, I love that because in the talk you mentioned as well that there's this like, even as you describe that, like it's, you know, it makes a lot of sense and you've explained it with such clarity and simplicity that I like, I can't help but sit here and go, duh. <laughs> and, like, and that's like, and I'm, but I'm aware that that's like, that's you speaking it in really simplistic terms, you know, like really breaking it down. And that that's a skill in itself. And I kind of want to sort of address that, you know, like, the fact that, you know, simplicity is such a big part of your walk, of your message that you consistently carry and um, and just, you know, it's something that I'm consistently learning as well on my own journey and if I may share just a little bit is one of the things I've actually been learning a lot, especially in the personal development world is when people are overcomplicating things. They're selling me something. <laughs>
3: yeah. I yes, exactly. like, totally, totally.
1: <laughs> And I was, like, yeah. oh. And I was just like, oh, if someone's keeping it simple, like some of the, like, let's just look at Eckhart Tolle, one of, one of the people that I had the blessings to be mentored by. And he's just like, the power of now. Just yep. be here now. It just is now. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's so infuriatingly simple. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So where does this passion for simplicity for yourself come from? Um, I have an analytical brain, Mm -hmm. so I think it's got a lot to do with, you know, um, there's a little bit of leverage in that. Uh, There's a little bit, uh, some would argue there's an an inherent laziness to not do more than I need to. Uh, There is a little bit of uh, the way of Zen. There's a little bit of art of war, all these elements that you can understand the first principles. Mm. You can, you can, you can extract, 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 create extraordinary value or outcomes mm. simply because understanding the nature of power of momentum and focus. Mm. And so it's that simplicity that gives you a lot of leverage or capacity to, to overcompensate for the input and therefore create all sorts of things, uh, all sorts of opportunities, et cetera.
1: Amazing. So one of the questions I've got for you is on Momentum. Um, because that was something that has really dropped in really deeply for me that people don't actually talk so much about, right? Um, I think it's really undervalued. So the podcast here, The Inspired Evolution exists as a weekly show. Every week we jump on, we have these amazing conversations with amazing individuals such as yourself, continuously inspiring my growth, my evolution, and those of the listeners. And it's just been profound for me just knowing, like, all I've done is be consistent. That's the only thing I've really done. And perhaps you know, there's a whole conversation around laziness, which you started, by the way.
3: <laughs> I, just,
1: <laughs> I do, I do see myself as quite lazy as well. Like, and I honor that as part of being like, again, the path to least resistance is the yeah. one that I usually follow, right? And there's there's a sweetness yeah. to it, but there's also you know some shortcomings to that. And so having that conversation, like, just really like momentum, um, has been such a profound thing that you know i find the conversation is not being had around
2: it i think it's funny because when you often state something simply they kind of go is that all as we're trained for some reason to think the complexity is the answer yeah and if you think about first principles none of those are complex
3: hmm.
2: yet they're all universally and infinitely effective
3: yeah yeah and i i i think
2: I think people don't want to think about first principles, and that be- mostly because it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and in some times it's confronting.
3: Mm.
2: It actually goes in the face of what you've always believed. And it's that, I'm going to say denial, but resistance, probably better word, mm. that causes that momentum to be lost because we spend all our effort trying to break our inertia mm. rather than all our effort optimising around our momentum.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, which is a very subtle but profound difference, right, instead of trying to resist the old, focusing on the new and moving your way towards that, which, yeah. And so in that space I'd like to segue into, you know, as the curator, as you call it, of TEDx Melbourne, you know, there's these incredible themes. Like the last one was um, rebels, revolutionaries, and us, right? So – a very amazing time to sort of come up with a conversation around this when, you know, there is such a call to, I guess, uh, the way I see it is as entrepreneurial, um, social entrepreneurs um, making a rise and, you know, environmental activists having a voice and, you know, all these movements with climate change and all this sort of stuff. And there's so many spaces, whether it's business, whether it's the environment, whether it's, you know, personal development, there's all these people coming in and like you can feel this revolution kind of at its core. How does one... <laughs> such as yourself, go about, you know, like coming up with the idea of, okay, this is going to be the theme and this is what we're going to curate um, talks around.
2: Yeah. So it's a combination of things. We take the profiles and the feedback we get from our community mm-hmm. and we quantify the sentiment, momentum and scale. Mm-hmm. And sentiment then we, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. I should write that down. Um mm-hmm. I never thought of it in those three words, but that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Um, and then we take an observation of kind of the global zeitgeist, what's being searched, mm-hmm. what's being trending, whatnot, and then we find the intersection. Right. And so typically it's a really, really good predictor of of what will trend and when it will peak in its trend curve. By watching those curves, we can work out how many people are most likely to be interested in an event if we run it at a certain time, right? And that then becomes our date and our topic. So it's it's, it's a it's part art and part science, mm. part observation, mm. part of predictive sort of semi predictive elements, mm. and that's kind of where we find our sweet spot.
1: I love that. I love that. It's very, uh, what I'd expect of (laughs) something at the nexus of art and science, such as Ted and the space that that you're holding there. I think that's, that's really awesome. So I want to also ask a question in regards to like, you've seen a lot of people talk and present by this stage. Um,
3: Mm.
1: I'm just going to go at a guess and say, maybe it's more than (laughs)
3: hundreds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, let's, uh, some have probably been better than others. (laughs) Um, And so what does it like, what, is there any, uh, I guess I'm fishing for advice, but I guess what I'm asking is what sort of helps some people stand out against others in terms of when it comes to public speaking and the art of speaking?
2: Yeah. So there's two parts to that. There's the purpose of the message in the first place. Mm. Now that means different things to different people. Like for instance, some people love the fact that sustainability is on the agenda. Yeah. Some people are over the fact that sustainability is on the agenda.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, Greta Thunberg is a classic example of that, where people are going, "Oh, enough of her," and there are people going, "No, no, there needs to be more of her." It's like yep. same case, mm-hmm. same discussion, yep. right? So there's a function of that, and then there's so that's a that's kind of like a bell curve type thing. And then the other part of that is around the law of averages, which is, you know, when I see lots of talks, is that standard, is that talk, for, first of all, something that everyone's talking about, no one's talking about, or someone that's talking about it but in a unique way? And to yeah. answer your question, it's that third one I'm looking for.
3: Hmm.
2: And so the way I like to summarise that is it's got to be remarkable outside of your industry or area of expertise. Right. Because if it's not remarkable outside of that domain, then it's clever people having clever conversations with people who already agree with them.
3: Mm.
1: That's a great way of looking at it.
2: And then we get this kind of community bubble.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. And you're in the in your your uh, you're in the echo chamber. You're consistently bouncing around that, that yeah. echo chamber, which is so easily facilitated through the work of social media as well in the current day and age we live in.
3: Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: that's a great way of. Um, yeah, personally just, yeah, just reflecting that back to you that I think that's fantastic because it does show that this piece of content or this piece of work can actually impact those outside of those that are already adopting it. It is at the edge. It is innovative and it is also impactful because it is being
2: adopted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: I love that. One of the things you're a massive advocate for is that the position and direction of an idea is equally as important as the idea itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this kind of leads into what we were talking about there. And the way I read that is, you know, context as well as content, you know, is something that I've, you know, been consistently in awe of, Mm -hmm. especially through this process of podcasting, you know, like we can, I can talk, I can have a conversation with anyone in regards to, you know, helping speakers, speaker notes and that sort of stuff that you'll work with, you know, um, speakers Australia. And then obviously, you know, the curation of TEDx your insights are just that much more valuable because they hold the weight of, you know, the, the work you've been doing. And then comes all the work you've been exposed to to support that work that we have the conversation around. But tell us more by, yeah. you know, that positioning and how it all fits in and how it's so important.
2: Yeah. So position and direction is really around, um, well, the, the example I often give is, you know, if you have a great idea, it's not any help to anyone if it doesn't create attention and a disproportionate amount of attention. Mm. And so if you think about great brands, they have always do those two things. You've got Tesla and his, you know, sorry, Elon Musk and his tweets. Mm. Or you've got Richard Branson and his PR stunts. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, it's, 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 how do you have that strong position and how do you create the disproportionate amount of attention? And so once you know that you need to do that, the other factor, that inf- or other two factors that influence that is the momentum and the timing. So if you're starting from zero and trying to move fast, it takes a lot of energy to do that. Whereas if it's already moving, it's just a optimise and a tweak to continue it in that direction. And that's just physics.
3: Right, right. Uh,
2: so it's the momentum then becomes, well, if it's already moving, it's easy to keep moving. And the timing is, well, is that timing at the beginning of that start or when it's already at velocity? Ah. And if you come in at the right time, determines how much further you can take it. Right, that's fascinating.
3: So, yeah,
2: and so even great change in history, you know, women getting the vote, lots and lots of effort at the beginning, a mm-hmm. hundred years before they actually got there. Yeah, but it was it was it was the you know it was the initial seating and that as you mentioned that weekly you do the weekly uh, webinar. It's that weekly thing that creates the momentum
3: hmm. and
2: then and eventually then you be- hit this kind of escalation or this you know tipping point where 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 it kind of becomes self self evident that uh the, the 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 opportunities lie yeah that's fascinating.
1: Really ex- it's like a formula. it's like a formula to understand yeah. how where you're standing on those shoulders of those giants almost as well yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So one of the things, John, that's coming forward for me at the moment is you, as you said, are quite analytical and (laughs) you've created this life for yourself where, you know, you, uh, I would argue, managed to do what you love, which is having an impact and, you know, but your background is in, is in engineering. So you're speaking, having an impact But your background is in engineering. You've engineered a life for yourself, which, uh, yeah, is, uh, is, Something that you enjoy, um, tell us why yep. that was important to you. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be um yeah, yeah, and is there like a philosophy like a philosophical sort of understanding behind
3: yeah, that? yeah.
2: great question yes, short answer is yes um did I consciously engineer it not always, uh-huh, but what I did know was if i if it didn't light me up i it was very hard to stay with it. Ah, yes. right? Self evident, right?
1: It's so you know? simple, but what? it's so
3: easy to ignore, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So that's always been part of my kind of sense of. And so, uh, you, know, the, you know, when I quit the corporate world, it was basically I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. And I, you know, two weeks later, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to do something else. Uh, so that's kind of always been part of my driver. That's probably the, the impetus of that. The engineering part was how do you change rapidly? And arguably, that's the real question. Mm. And so that movement of change is is a function of momentum, again, mm. and timing, again. Uh-huh. But to get to my re- you know, perfect world that I kind of would argue I'm in at the moment, it was really okay. a function of eliminating things I I, I absolutely couldn't afford to keep doing. Mm. And some of those projects took 10 years to come off. Right. Because I had so much momentum underneath them that to just lose that momentum and give it away would be almost folly.
1: Oh, John, that's profound. That's profound because most people look at it when we have conversations around purpose and following it. It's like, try more things, try new things, find your calling, find what's working. And yes, there's a space for that, but the conversation we've just instigated is actually, you know, what's continuously happening that's taking up the bandwidth that's stopping you and inhibiting you from doing what it is that actually you know that is what is it is that you love doing.
2: Yeah, and I still do those try new things things, but it's now, for instance, 20% of my time and consumption rather than 80% of my time consumption. Yeah. So yeah, I got distracted by a lot of bright, shiny things for well, <laughs> like six, seven years, <laughs> especially in the personal development space. I spent so much money. If someone asked me how much I'd spend, they'd probably have a heart attack. <laughs> um, and I just try everything.
3: Yeah,
2: um, and then realised I was getting pulled a thousand different directions and not achieving anything in any one place.
1: Yeah, which is a which one is do, Which is a very um, important point to bring home in the personal development space as well i think a lot of people you know and it's interesting because you've got to kind of go down the rabbit hole to realize oh whoops like this person's saying let go and this person's saying stay focused. And it's like, wait, do I let go or do I stay focused? And it's like, oh, wait, it's all relevant to the context of where yeah. I'm at. It's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like oh, wait, I'm going to figure this out for myself. No one can really actually tell me where to go.
2: It's like. This it's is one me. of my challenges with a lot of advice. Yeah. is It's advice in a vacuum. Mm. It's not contextual to the individual. If you say drop what you're doing and do something radical, yes, you need to do that. And you need to evaluate how that's going to impact your life holistically Mm. to work out where the momentum's lost because if you do, you have to pick that up. Mm. And what are you going to do about that when you adopt this new practice?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And I don't think anyone thinks of it that way. I think they just kind of go, well, this course said I'm going to do that or this guru said that and then they off they go and then realise, hang on, I'm off there somewhere and I've lost all this momentum. Mm. Oh, that doesn't work. And it's not that it didn't work. It was the wrong timing and the wrong momentum for that initiative in your life, your personal situation.
3: Perfect.
1: I love that. I love that. Makes so much sense. All these pennies are just dropping. <laughs> 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 yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. That's 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 brilliant. And so, in terms of those, perhaps that in that twenty percent of those shiny new things, are there some interests that you're currently cultivating that you know? Uh, that you'd like to share with us?
2: I think this year in particular that I decided to focus more on were things that were in my domain mm-hmm. and have an interesting edge. Uh-huh. So I've been doing a lot. My, for instance, three years ago I did a lot of youth and youth at risk programs, mostly sponsored by government, that mm. one day they decided they wouldn't fund, and they dropped off dramatically, and I had to kind of adapt to that. Right. But in more recent times, there is opportunities there, so I'm stepping much more aggressively into that space again. Mm. In that gap, I still did it, but it wasn't at the scale or momentum or or level simply because the interest and the momentum underneath it wasn't there. Mm. Because it's picked up, it's a good time to get back into it. Right. So that's one of the things that I'm really picking up and really focusing on: youth, youth at risk. Again, I'm doing something completely new at the moment. Is around uh, women, women rights, women in tech, all these kind of areas. And I have been doing that for at least since 2012. TEDx Melbourne ran one of the first women's only events that I was aware of in 2012. Mm. And uh, at the time, it became bigger than the TEDx Melbourne event itself. And I also knew I couldn't run two events. 'Cause it's a I'm volunteer by the way. Yeah. So you yeah, know, doubling my effort uh wasn't when it was already consuming four days a week was not an option. <laughs> uh, Eight days a week not an option. But um, you're an entrepreneur, goddamn no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <yeah,
1: right>. right.
2: <laughs> Surely there's fourteen days
1: so, to a week, is there
2: not? Yeah. <laughs> this is what he was so, saying about
1: taking things out uh, of the
2: bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. So it was like that became not a reality. So um what i'm now doing is stepping back and the other reason i didn't step into that is i didn't feel i was a representative sample of women <laughs> women in anything um but people just said no we still like what you say and we still what you want to do so i it gave me the confidence to step back in and since i've done that that's kind of like really going somewhere so for me is it important is it deeply satisfying and isn't the domain of my expertise then become the decision criteria by which I need or want to engage if it's going to be my 80% uh, capacity um, efforts. So that then became, okay, I can make that work. I can do that with the existing momentum and I can achieve a good amount of impact because I've already got the momentum, then I want to do that. And so it's about taking that 20% and how do I make it the 80% by measuring on those criteria.
1: I love that. I love that because it's even the 20% that you're going to invest your time and energy into, you're looking at how is that going to impact the 80% and so you're getting the greatest leverage out of that 20%. That's amazing, amazing way to look at it. And I love the words around important, satisfying, and you've got the expertise in that space so that you're actually doubling down on your strengths. And one thing that's really look, this is going to be somewhat esoteric. I don't really know how else to pin this down as a, as a question, but what's really sitting really poignantly for me at the moment is John, you're the guy, you know, that helps people find their voice, do the speaking. Right. And so speaking is a big part of your, I'm just going to call it your medicine. Right. But in that, then you're standing behind things, right. Such as youth, diversity, women, women's rights, and again, this is where the esoteric part of me comes into it. It's like you're sort of holding down that awareness that actually if you do find your voice, you now have a responsibility to channel it in a direction that is meaningful, important. It will be spiritually satisfying. And if you have the expertise in it, that's kind of what you've got to go go follow. Um, I do want to just yeah. take my hat off to it for a second, but also just sort of flag it and also get your insights in that.
2: Thank you. Uh, look, and I, uh, if you kind of boil it down, I think we have the moral responsibility to be the best person we can
3: mm.
2: and to express that in every way that we can because we're not. We're undermining our potential. And if we're undermining our potential, then we're undermining our opportunities. And if we're undermining our opportunities, we're undermining our m- momentum again. So how would you not do that?
1: <laughs> I love the way you break that down. It makes a lot of sense when you say it that way. And so <laughs> that conclusion is very easy to derive from the formula.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So again, it just becomes very simple at that point. And it's that simplicity that, that creates the leverage.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: Amazing. And so, what else is um, the the focus of you know outside of um, outside of speaking? When you're doubling down and you're working with these women's rights and women's rights in tech, and you're doing work with youth, is it trying to invest your time and energy into helping people find their way, or what's going on in that space that is
2: inspiring? So in that space, it's primarily focused around. How do we help people find clarity in who they are and what they want to say? Mm. How do you give them the confidence to articulate that? And then what structures would they need underneath that to do it consistently?
3: Ah.
1: So you're activating leaders and helping people find their yeah. voice in that space.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So that they can continue to have that ripple effect that you talked about. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Sorry, I'm joining all the dots here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, you bring up my primary driver, which is to help people to reach their potential and encourage them to do the same for others because then we have an amplification effect.
3: Right.
2: And a lot of people focus on being their best and doing their best, but then that only affects their own personal domain. Mm. And I don't think that our value to the community and the way we get rewarded is by self-serving attitudes and values. Mm. the only way humanity and community and culture and business and everything else that we believe is important to us can can really grow and amplify is is we're constantly investing in that bigger picture.
1: Mm.
3: John, can can
1: I ask you a question? And this may be a bit weird to ask this question, but how did you get there in terms of learning that in order for me to help like my my empowerment is to empower others, right? There would have been a certain amount of work you would have done on yourself to empower yourself, to find yourself, find your calling, find your mission, find your work, find your eighty percent that you want to double down on, invest in your momentum, yeah. strategically time that and yeah. get there. But then at some point realizing that actually, oh, my wagon is hitched to the wagon of all of those that, you know, is gonna go out and create the the ripple effect. You know, that yeah. kind of like, I don't see that happening overnight. You know, it's like me waking up and going, oh, yep, my mission is to help everybody else activate.
2: You know, it's it's like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can but you talk about that? Sure. So,
3: uh, yeah, look, it, it, uh,
2: yeah, it's a good point. So, if we don't feed ourselves, so to speak,
3: mm.
2: then there's no way we can ever help anyone else.
3: Mm.
2: So, in a way, there is a conscious selfishness, but it's for a purpose. Mm. And it's only initially for survival, Mm. and then it's for expansion. But, I mean, the best analogy I can come to that is an analogy I was given relatively recently around a tomato plant. If I just got a tomato and put it on the desk, it will wither away into nothing.
3: Mm. Nothing
2: happens from it. If I take that tomato and take the seeds and put it in the ground, I'll get a tomato plant. I know that sounds obvious. I can choose to eat all the tomatoes, in which case I have nothing next year.
3: Mm.
2: I can choose to eat, I don't know, say half the tomatoes and plant half the tomatoes and get an abundance of tomatoes. Mm. There's only a point you're going to only eat so many tomatoes. Mm. Where I just took half that crop and planted it, half that crop planted it, half that crop and planted it, I'll end up with infinite tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs)
3: right? Yeah. And then
2: you can't not add value. But Well, first of all, you can only eat so many tomatoes, but you can't not add value by just giving it away. Mm. Not literally, but what's the value of that giving? Whether it's a tomato or your time or your effort or investing any, like you can't stop a tomato being a tomato and you can't stop a tomato amplifying and multiplying. That's a law of nature. Mm. And we're a seed of potentials just like the tomato. And so how how do you take what you have, be the best you can, be the most flourishing thing that you can be in order that you have excess for other things to amplify? And so then it then extends beyond me to, well, how do I give other people tomatoes and teach them how to share tomatoes? (laughs) But in this case, it's advice or support or you know anything else the value you create is by investing in yourself but there's a point where the excess then you can, can't consume you by default you have not have to give it away but the only logical there's also step. no value in keeping it either right like if i had infinite tomatoes where the hell am i going to put them
3: <laughs>
2: um, so why not create value out of that and encar- and and, and i let that become the platform or conversation by which more things can happen so i don't know if i when you say i've got there i i, I would argue that i have not got there mm.
3: uh
2: but how do we continue to nurture that that possibility of that infiniteness mm. um, and so it then becomes a law of nature then becomes the law of be you know, of our being then becomes the law of humanity because we're not really separate
1: mm. Yeah. I love that conversation. And thank you so much for sharing that. I knew it was only a matter of time. I was going to start talking about this economic (laughs) economy of uh, ecosystem of possibility and the community amplifier that you believe in, um, which, you know, is it, I'm in room. I can see a romance (laughs) brewing for myself (laughs) in, in the ideology. You know, for me, it's all about connecting people and ideas. That's my whole thing. And just that idea in itself is, is profound. And, um, I love the I love the way you described it just then with the tomato metaphor. I'm actually surprised you said you got that from somewhere. It, it sounded like completely your own, because um, yeah. <laughs> it just spoke to, yeah. yeah, what you shared in terms of the econ- the ecosystem of possibility in the community amplifier. Is there anything else you want to share with us in regards to that? Well, I think that was a well,
2: it just a- occurred to me that in a separate video by a guy called uh, Alan Watts <laughs> mm. did a video about the planet. Um, A tomato plant has tomatoes and a planet has people. So when a tomato plant grows, it grows tomatoes. But when an earth has people, it peoples. And so he has this really interesting sort of analogy, almost the same conversation about that. So I would go maybe go look at some of the uh, Alan Watts videos where um, Trey Parker, the guy that does South Park, animated some of his works.
3: Ah.
2: All those are worth watching.
1: Yeah. All of so, them are worth
2: watching, but one is the one about the tomato.
1: I love that. I um yeah, Alan Watts is by far the philosopher that lives most in my f- head rent free. Uh um, <laughs> just incredible work of just the, the entertainment with which he brings Zen philosophy to the West is just unparalleled in my humble
3: opinion. Um, mm-hmm.
1: so on that note, John, who like are there people that inspire you on
3: your path at the moment? Well
2: it it's somewhat I don't know. I'm always exploring because I'm always discovering clever people doing clever things and even the right message at the wrong time doesn't necessarily get grounding, you know. Um, But in terms of people who I continually seem to come back to on maybe regular or not so regular timescales, I I really enjoy a lot of uh, Tony Robbins' interviews. I find them fascinating about how he unpacks people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um I just discovered literally yesterday or the day before yesterday a guy called um uh, Somebody Parish. I can't remember his name. I'll give it to you for the show notes. Can't mm-hmm. remember off the top of my head. Oh good. Um Bob Bob Proctor's been a big influence of mine. <laughs> um big, big one. Um they're the ones that kind of come to mind at the moment. Awesome. But um I'm always exploring I, I, I probably have I mean, just podcasts alone, I've got 130 hours of want to listen on top of I've actually downloaded. um, On top of your reading (laughs) list.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. So I I tend to explore concepts rather than people. Mm. And the reason for that these days is because it's the diversity of opinion on a single concept that I think I feel I can generate the most uh, understanding and value because it's the unique perspectives that let me go, I agree with that or I don't see that. Why am I not seeing it the same way? Or what is this angle that I've not heard of before? Mm. On the same concept that allows me to explore that concept from lots of different angles that I wouldn't necessarily see if I just came in. Mm. So these days I tend to explore concepts rather than people um but in the beginning it was lots of individuals
1: yeah 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 i think that's really profound because what you're also sharing is basically the formula somewhat to creativity right there's the way steve jobs would put it in terms of it's all about just joining the dots and no two people can yeah. put the dots the same way because they're of a very different makeup
3: yeah yeah exactly
1: Man. Time flies when you're having fun, John. I'm just like conscious of the fact that I've like had you here and I'd like I feel like I could just talk to you for uh, there's definitely a gift here in your ability to to speak, to share, to create ideas, to create momentum around them. And I've it's really been um yeah, it's it's been a real treat for me personally just to take some time to to sit here and really I understand the the importance of, you know, having the right idea, but also the the amount of energy that goes into getting an idea traction, you know, and also like you know, the momentum that it needs and also the timing that it needs, right? Um, And also like creating the conversation around creating bandwidth for, you know, things that are in your life that are already having momentum and perhaps they need to fizzle down in order for you to have the momentum around the things that you really want to have. Those have been like some really, really key takeaways. And obviously having you here and like the conversation around simplicity and yeah, just instilling that into your life, you know, um, I think it may be very easy for the listener to perhaps just overlook how structured and how simple all the little bits and pieces that you put together and articulated and how straightforward they really are. But then I can see just through your experience, how much of a volume of work it takes to actually build that into crafting that simplicity is actually a whole discipline in itself. So thank you so much for taking the time, the energy and the Um, presence to share that with us here today. And also all the work you put into yourself to, to be able to inform this wonderful yummy conversation that we've had um, before we dive out, is there anything else you'd like to share with the with the listeners?
2: Um, no, no, not really. I just you yeah, know stay the path, believe when you see something and it lights you up that that is the right way, mm. and you know be willing to the, in order to have something new, you've got to give up something as well. I think mean, that's that's a really important part of that.
3: I
1: love that. I love that. And so for those that want to tune in to John, um, the best place and the best way to do that would be?
2: Probably LinkedIn. So uh, I would really, 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 really like people to add a little comment if they are going to connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main reason is that uh, there's people who just basically join with everyone, which is fine, Mm. but I like to have meaningful conversations and, 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 Purposeful connections. And you can't do that if you just kind of open up to everything. So, you know, connect with more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn, but uh, make sure you put a comment so that I understand the nature of the interaction.
1: Yeah. Said a little one sentence summary, perhaps of like just saying, you know, I heard you on the Inspired Evolution podcast and this really spoke to me. Wonderful to connect with you. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. That'd be beautiful. Yeah. Sean, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and all All the work that you do, inspiring all of us to continue speaking, finding our voices, sharing our messages, and activating leaders, and leading by example in terms of actually using our voices to create the impact in the world that we wish to see.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Hey Tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of The Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is wwwamrit sanducom You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help The Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to The Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at The Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to wwwamaret sanducom to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.